If you have ghosts, you have everything. If you have ghosts, you have everything. Hello listener, and welcome to another instalment of the Eagle Data File, a look at past stories from the 1980s run of the new Eagle comic, brought to you by Where Eagles Dear. In this episode, a Halloween treat. On its return as a mostly photo story comic, the new Eagle tried nearly everything, its fumetti format regularly mixing genres including detective stories, battlefields, wild west, alien invasion, Cold War espionage, schoolboy football, and one-off twists in the tale. It was probably inevitable that a good old-fashioned ghost story would appear at some point, and when it did, it was in the form of a drawn strip. Eagle then still only boasted two, including its star Dan Deere, and so this ghost story had to be very good indeed to distinguish itself. It did, and the resulting story, The House of Damon, would go on to be remembered as a clear highlight of Eagle's early run. The story is rare for giving a fair amount of its time to a female character, the pivotal Cassandra Aldrich. In a way, it's an ensemble piece, but by far the most diverting character is the sinister, omnipresent Damon, a hag-like being who haunts his human guests throughout their ordeal in the Villa Cassandra, the titular house of Damon. Damon had a reliable pedigree in writers John Wagner and Alan Grant, and illustrator Jose Ortiz, the three of whom would be reunited for Scream's The Thirteenth Floor. Ortiz had just come off a run in Eagle with The Tower King, another one-off story that would share Damon's two-tone watercolour or gouache medium. More correctly, the story is a haunted house affair, truly surreal, a chiller with elements of parapsychology and time travel, recalling Wagner and Grant's Judge Dredd and Anderson stories for 2000 AD. Meanwhile, Ortiz's history with horror titles for Warren Publishing ensured both memorable and highly evocative visuals. This story is a treat, with plenty of eerie twists and a foreboding finale. No wonder it's celebrated to this day as an Eagle classic. So welcome, reader, to the House of Damon. Episode 7, Issues 25 to 27. Who knew the evil that lurked within the walls of the Villa Cassandra? Yeah. Not Elliot Aldrich, who had built it, nor his wife Cassandra, after whom it had been named. Had they even realised the grim nightmare that awaited them, they would have turned and fled. Quick disclaimer, I'm an engineer, and <laughs> I'm the third generation of a family who've been in the building trade for 70 plus years. So I may have certain prejudices that may come to light as the story continues. Sorry. That door's not plumb. Anyway. It should have been one of the happiest moments of Cassandra Aldrich's life. But as she climbed the winding path, she had a sudden chill of dread, like someone was walking over her grave. <laughs> so, Elliot Aldrich has spent two years and literally over a hundred thousand pounds building a <laughs> dream home on a cliff by the sea. That's not ominous. No. For his trophy wife, Cassandra. That's not ominous either. I think the true horror of House of the Demon Peter is what it says about the property market in the past 20 years. Yes, my lord. I mean, it's a doer-upper, isn't it? 
well, doer may be the right word, <laughs> as they enter the property, then he's struck by the marble Villa Cassandra sign that falls, revealing the words, the house of Damon. Probably one of the work we're playing a practical <laughs> joke. <laughs> Ominous yet? Blaming those blasted workmen, bloody architect Elliot carries his wife across the threshold. <laughs> the designer house is beautifully laid out with all the mod cons that must have cost thousands. They need to rub it in. <laughs> <laughs> but then they go upstairs and find the master bedroom ruined by the stars. <laughs> As Elliot examines the broken glass, cobwebs and peeling wallpaper, mentally calculating liquidated damages and retentions, bloody architects. Up to hundreds, probably. Cassandra is confronted by the horrific apparition of a ghastly old man in the mirror. Cassandra. I've been waiting for you, Cassandra. Bam, bam, bam. Dave, would you buy Villa Cassandra? Hey, this is only episode one. Man. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> As Elliot rants over the phone to Fenwick, his builder, bloody architects, <laughs> <laughs> the leering figure reaches out of the mirror and grabs at Cassandra until her screams alert her husband. But the figure fades before Elliot returns into the room. Elliot tries to reassure his wife and offers her a drink of water, but the tap starts running red with blood. Elliot is still thinking all this is fixable and heads up to the attic to check the water tank. Cassandra begs him to go no further as the stairs get colder and colder, but as he opens the attic door, they are attacked by a horde of tiny flying demons. The little monsters swamp Elliot as Cassandra is confronted again by the wizened, ghastly old man. This is the house of Damon. You are but guests. Soon you will join me, Cassandra. Join me in my nightmare. Laughing continues manically. But then help arrives in the unlikely form of Fennec, who shouts from below and causes the monsters to fade. I will return for you, Cassandra. Soon. Soon. Cassandra takes ill, while Fennec, played by Eric Sykes, marvels at the damage. Convinced the house is haunted, Elliot contracts Dr. Cormac at the Pickford Institute, senior lecturer in parapsychology. Cormac warns the house itself seems possessed. He will be there in two hours. On no account, leave Cassandra alone. Next time, who are you? And what do you want? Wow. Mm. <laughs> How's that for a start? It lays it on pretty thick. <laughs> it does. When I was a kid, I, this was completely sort of alien, scary stuff. Mm. But now I'm looking at it going, this is a Jello movie. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder if it's the House of Damon. And not demon like I always thought, because is the demonic story title a little bit too much for a boys comic in the 80s? Mm-hmm. Mm. Very proto-scream, very f 13th floor. Very misty. Uh, I haven't read much misty, but I could imagine everyone was cutting their teeth writing girls' comics. Mm. I think misty and I think Pat Mills. But I'm also thinking, of course, everybody was drawing girls' comics as well. Yeah. You know, a lot of 2000 AD artists and IPC artists cut their teeth on the likes of Misty and Bunty and so forth. And I guess Jose Ortiz may have been amongst them. Possibly, possibly. I love the way he renders Cassandra. Uh, yes, um, obviously, another Alan Grant character with long flowing blonde locks by the name of Cassandra. It's got to be a bit of a setup. Mm. for anybody who reads 2000 AD but any panel she's in where she's not being menaced by some fright that hair is waving around in the breeze and it looks very very bewitching mm -hmm. and after how many weeks of Tawakin 
20... With his hair waving around <laughs> the wind, looking quite bewitching. Well, yes. well, 24 weeks of Tower King, we've got a main character who's, who's actually quite feminine, and it reminds me that we've not really had a lot of female characters in Eagle. No, no, I mean, we've had Zeta, but... But this is only the starter house of Demon. Mm. Things also develop further next time. Damon himself looks a bit like Zelda from the uh, Terror Hawks. <laughs> yes, he does. And I have to be honest, I, while I go bloody architect slot, Elliot sounds like he's a builder in the text, but there's a funny disconnect there. But yeah. Well, shall we just say that Eagles 25 to 27 may have missed Saddle Tramp, but there are clearly still some cowboys about. <laughs> I want to hear about more about Dr. Cormac's loft conversion. Cause yes. That's the linchpin. <laughs> and Dr. Cormac of the Pick, I keep on thinking of Pickman's model, mm. but the Pickford Institute. He's very much sort of in the vein of Dr. Van Helsing and that person you ring up to come in and fix this kind of thing. I love the second to last panel of you know, the last page of this. We've got a close-up of Cormac and he's half in shadow, as you say, very mm. giallo, very... Mm. Uh, Kiraskura, and he looks positively demonic himself. We jokingly say Jello, but Jose Ortiz, Spanish artist. Mm-hmm. I, I know Jello's Italian, but it might be worth a look to see what the form was there. Yeah, because he he revels in this. We were saying Tower King was uh, done in a lovely way. You know, I keep on saying the ball goes out the back, but crikey, mm. this mm. looks gorgeous. <laughs> Terrifying, but gorgeous. Well, not a million miles away from the style of Tower King, but all of that lovely ink washing going on and and he just works really well with black and white and and the all the tones in between yeah episode eight issues 28 to 32 previously on house of damon elite aldrich has built a multi-thousand pound dream home for his wife the dubiously named cassandra but it has turned into a nightmare as the house is possessed by a demonic entity known as damon So do they run for the hills like any sane people would do? No, they hang around waiting for the stories Van Helsing's analogue Dr. Walter Cormack, senior lecturer in parapsychology from the Pickford Institute to come visiting. Cormack arrives with his two plucky assistants, Dave and Rhonda. I don't think Rhonda's dressed for this, but Ortiz doesn't seem to mind drawing her. I don't mind looking... Uh, (laughs) Sorry, uh, I know we've been awfully sexist this episode because of the 80s and that comment probably sounds uh, quite horrific, but... um, I have fond memories of Rhonda more than I have of Cassandra, to be honest, as a 12-year-old at the time. Cormac checks the fitfully sleeping Cassandra while Elliot explains his wife's history with the paranormal. There was a poltergeist in her house at 12. Mm-hmm. Poltergeist was released in the UK in September 1982 and in the US in June 1982. Is there a connection there? Well, of course, there's the Enfield haunting as well, which would have been around about that time, which would have brought poltergeists... A poltergeisty, zeitgeisty thing. Yeah. The two men then explore the house, noticing the relative calm of the lounge, which they didn't put Cassandra in, which I don't make, it doesn't make any sense, but yeah. And the increasingly oppressive atmosphere as they move up the building. There's a great bit in this where Builder Fennec is trying to fix the peeling wallpaper, <laughs> and Cormac just walks past going, you couldn't hammer it up with six inch nails. <laughs> Cormac then leads the way and calls a challenge at the attic door. Who are you and what do you want? What do you want in this house? After a moment's silence, 
a whole army of multi-mini versions of himself grow up from the floor and taunt him with the same questions before popping out of existence. That's a great start. It is. But pop is such a UK comic thing. You know, it's mm. it's sort of things go pop rather than any other dramatic sounds. I, I just I just saw it there and thinking a few comics. 2000 AD would do it as well. A funny sound effect to have in such a story. Yeah. As demonic laughter rings out, Dave raises the alarm from below. There's trouble! They rush back to find Cassandra physically fading away. Mm-hmm. Sanity finally kicks in and they decide to leave. But the phone lines only have a demonic voicemail and all the doors and windows are sealed shut. Damon appears to gloat that no one may leave and strikes Cormac down with bolts of light from his eyes before disappearing, taking the near-transparent Cassandra with him. The room fills with howls of demonic laughter again, and they all lose consciousness. Strike me with a pickle, this ain't natural. (laughs) (laughs) You say demonic, Dave, but God's never been mentioned in this whole strip. Cormac attempts a sort of an exorcism, and he says, in the name of all that's good, that's the strongest he can come up with. Yeah, but it's really weird because demonic is mentioned in the text of the strip. Because I found mm. it odd because I wondered if it's called Damon because they couldn't say demon, yet they keep on referring to demonic. But there is an analogue in that with things like Doctor Who and Torchwood where you've got things like Abaddon over Cardiff and the Satan Pit. And you've got all these things in popular culture where they'll happily have a demonic villain. But as you say, they won't have a god character or a... Mm. A god mm. analogue. It's, it's, it's sort of something you note. I mean, we're not pushing a boat here. It's just an observation. Well, it's like your comment last episode where the oaths are things like by the stars yeah. and on my life. You know, there's no... <laughs> Strike me with a pickle. <laughs> Strike me with a pickle. Because <laughs> I know what I'd be saying in this and it wouldn't be printable. No. <laughs> so suddenly everyone wakes up with Cassandra on a stone column overlooking a nightmarish landscape. It's basically the pits of hell. It's amazing. We will see this in movies in years to come, Mm. particularly the House series, of course, uh, which I loved as a teenager. Next issue, the party quickly takes stock and it appears Fennec the Builder's mind has broken and he's completely (laughs) lost his marbles. Bloody architects. They spot a city in the distance and carefully make their way down the winding chasms and passageways into the valley floor, when suddenly they hear a little voice. Hello there. Hello there. They see a strange imp-like creature perched on a rock. Hello there. It seems friendly enough, but it bolts off into a nearby petrified forest. Hello there, hello there, hello there. With Dave in hot pursuit. Fearing a trap, Aldrich chases after the boy, only to find himself being dragged under the sand by a group of the imps. Hello there. It's so creepy and so cool. Aldrich tries to help, but is dragged under as the rest of the party stumbles into a similar fate. They're dragged through a series of underground tunnels by a small army of the imp-like beasts. Sand oops, they're called, yeah. Who then pull out razor-sharp hooks and pull the party apart from each other and and start, it looks like, to want to have a big feast. Mm. It's grim! Still, Rhonda's found an H. Sorry? They're now spelling Ronda's name with an H. They started out without it. Oh, okay. There's a lot of H edited here. <laughs> but it couldn't get any worse, could it? But then the ground shakes and all the imps run away. Goodbye there. And a great giant caterpillar leaps out and eats everyone. <laughs> what the actual... F- I know. I, I, I couldn't believe it. I was just looking at the... Oh, my God. Goodbye there. Goodbye there. Goodbye there. 
<laughs> so it eats the sand imps and then eats our heroes. Trapped in the monsters moor, the party start to see a strange apparition of a scathing news announcer who tells them Dave will soon die of bite wounds. No, Dave! Very hungry caterpillar. <laughs> oh, God. As the monsters' stomach juices start to age their skin, Cormac hatches a plan, lighting a fire and causing the beast to convulse and throw them up back into the desert. Next time, out of the worm and into the hands of evil. <sighs> what the actual <laughs> This is so, so good. <laughs> we thought Tower King was mental. Demon is absolutely Bonkers. shot out of the park for this. The very hungry caterpillar saying Harry <laughs> as he eats them, <laughs> which is bizarre. Even in 2000 AD, with the Anderson demon stories, mm. and to a lesser extent, even just going to Death World in mm. the 80s, it wasn't this trippy. No. It wasn't this trippy until the 90s, at least. This is a whole new level of... This is mental. It's show-stoppingly good. Don't get me wrong, guys. It seems to me when people talk about Eagle and, and what they would like reprinted, Tower King comes up a fair bit. Yep. Doom Lord comes up all the time. But House of Damon is easily in the top three and i can see why it's just so strong stuff this episode we've escalated from and not deliberately dear listener this is just how it worked out from the invisible boy to this and it's mm. just whoa and ooh, Rhonda, we need to come down from this we do episode nine issues 33 to 36 previously on the house of damon Having fallen to a nightmarish horror dimension, our heroes have been eaten by a ginormous, very hungry caterpillar. After lighting a fire in its belly, have been thrown up into the desert. Harry! When suddenly the obscene worm explodes, forming a giant mushroom crowd beneath them. Yes, you do. Like, somehow I think mushrooms may be more relevant with the story <laughs> than we think. Certainly a lot of smoke involved as well. <laughs> the party gather themselves. Builder Fennec has completely cracked, wanting to go home for fish and chips. And student Dave is in a really bad way after being badly bitten last episode. You think the Peters had trouble, Pete? <laughs> Poor Dave. Meanwhile, back at the gates of House of Damon, two patrolling bobbies investigate the vandalised sign. George goes, oh, I thought this place was called Villa Cassandra after his wife. Willie goes, well, maybe he's remarried. That's very progressive. <laughs> For 1982, that's exactly what I said, yeah. They find the door opens on its own and decide to call in to say hi to the new residents. Meanwhile, led by Cassandra's instincts, Elliot and co. find a strange door which, with stairs leading down. Dr. Cormac surmises they are still in the house and the stairs will take them down to the kitchen. Damon appears and taunts them. There is but one release from the house of Damon. Observe. And with bolts of lightning coming out of his eyes, he zaps poor Dave's body, sending the boy's corpse back to the real world to be found by the two hapless coppers. Our heroes realise they have no choice but to follow the stairs down, and a maniacally laughing Damon transports the two hapless policemen into his nightmare realm. He swapped a Dave for two bobbies. Leaving only Dave's dead body and the pungent tang of fear. Oh, that's such a horrible panel. It's just yeah. Dave's corpse just lying in an empty room, abandoned. Yeah. It's creepy. The main party emerge onto a battlefield and have to dive for cover as shelling from a major bombardment is underway. They hide in a crater only to find it full of rotting corpses. Mm. Live soldiers emerge from the smoke covering them. Welcome to Hell's Kitchen. Take that, Daredevil. Yeah. And Gordon Ramsay. <laughs> I was thinking when I first saw this, this is like the, the movie House and it's mm. Vietnam flashbacks, but... 
No, 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 no. <laughs> There's more to it than that. Sergeant Bilko, hmm. Kowalski, and Private Expendable recognize the civs as non-combatants and escort them back into the combat HQ. But on the way, they are ambushed by the evil Gimps. Die, Yankee Dog! Gimps. <laughs> Gimps, eh? Oh, there's no ethnicity sort of given. And obviously, while it's a Nam World War II inspired thing, they do seem to be like little demons, demons type things. One hand nuke later, and they hightail it to join Charlie Company, who are dug in under heavy fire. Gimp armor is on the way, and our heroes are issued with burp guns and hand nukes as the hover tanks advance. Cormac joins the fight, but Aldrich ditches his gun. This is all an illusion, I tell you, a dream. They can't hurt us. And he is cut down by a hail of bullets. Bow, 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 bow. Bloody architects. Um... <laughs> In issue 36, as Private Houlihan provides a heavy mortar cover, Bilko and his team crawl out and drag Elliot back to the Allied lines. As the Gimps storm the trenches, the CO of Charlie Company calls for a field nuke airstrike. Yeehaw! Total crew out! Uh, shades of Death Race 2000, I think. Mm -hmm. The Civs have proved themselves valiant fighters. As Elliot is patched up, they are transported out to GHQ. Cormac explains their story to Bilko. Yeah, this is all really a fantasy. It's not happening. Yeah, you try telling that to Aldrich. Next week, truth or die. Hmm. <laughs> As a kid, I never got the Bilko reference. I, mm. I wouldn't have got Kowalski either, but it's Kowalski's more of a very general meme rather than Bilko being Phil Silvers. And it's very much not the Phil Silvers show in time. So I was thinking about the fact that we've got Kowalski and Silvers and we've got Savalas and Hulan and they're very actory names and character names for a world where you're really not sure whether what you're seeing and reading is real or not. And I thought, mm. actually, it's quite cool. It, it wears its influences on its sleeve. I mean, you've got Nuke Alley and Bad Guys Are Creamed and Hand Nukes for the Ladies, which is more like a suicide option, um, <laughs> which is, you know, really dark. It's still delivering the punches, but it's actually a little bit more structured. There is this sort of funny, hollow deck, other people in it, real thing beginning to emerge in House of Damon. Hmm. Hmm. And Willie and George the Coppers are, we'll, we'll see more of them later, I'm sure. But it, it's building its world a bit better than the sheer bonkers madness that happening a few weeks before. Yeah. Hmm. Farewell, Dave. At least it's not a poor Peter. <laughs> Episode 10, issues 37 to 40. Previously on House of Demon, the Aldriches and co. have travelled through the demonic daemon's nightmare renovations to their dream home, to Hell's Kitchen, a nightmare future war between the Yanks and the Gimps. In a moment of Star Trek logic, Elliot Aldrich stands up to the might of the Gimp artillery, claiming, This is not real! only to be mown down by laser fire. <laughs> Bloody architects, literally. <laughs> Idiot Aldrich. That's all I'm saying. Having been airlifted back to Combat HQ, his wife Cassandra watches as a doctor works to save him. Luckily, no organs were hit. Really? And there is no infection from laser wounds. Really? The magnetic revitalizer will speed up his body's repair rate, and Elliot will be well soon. Apparently. Sounds like snake oil and crystals to me. Mm -hmm. The surviving party are brought before the Yankee General, and they explain their strange tale. None of this is real, and everything here is just a figment of Damon's imagination. Dr. Cormac surmises the only way they can escape is if they find the door out of the kitchen and into the hall. Before they can be shot for this improbable tale, they are saved by the arrival of two disheveled policemen from last week's episode, Fraser and Sawyer, mm. who corroborate their story. So what do you make of it, Captain? 
Reckon we're just figments of this Damon's imagination? Beats me, sir. But if we are, me and my boy's been wasting a lot of time here. The general agrees to humor them, and assigns Bilko, hey Bilko, and a squad of four to help their heroes find their door. Rejoined by a healed Elliot, Cassandra uses her intuition to sense the door's location pin on a map style, which when I was at university was called using the force. Close your eyes. <laughs> Bad news, that's slap in the middle of Gimp territory. Of course. Issued with weapons and joined by familiar-looking Private Eastwood, our heroes go all apocalypse now. Shout out to Conrad from Space Spinner. That's when you die hard through a <laughs> tropical jungle, trying to avoid enemy patrols before being ambushed by a boat on a river. Machine gun firings out. Eastwood, no! Oh, poor Eastwood. As carnage reigns on the river, Elliot dives under the gimp boat, emerging on the other side to hand nuke the gimps. The battle turns, and our heroes take over the riverboat, not without cost. PC Willy Sawyer is drowned, three of Bilko's patrol are creamed, and cowboy builder Fenwick has taken a nasty shot to the chest. As Bilko moves to put him out of his misery, Cassandra and Rhonda pull their guns on him, saving the hapless contractor. Okay, have it your way, but I'm not carrying him. The party continue their search, and deep in the jungle, Fenwick dies from his wounds. It's so unfair. He only came to do some decorating. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. After giving him a proper burial, our heroes stumble upon a gimp patrol carrying the missing door. In the last issue for this month, mission completed, Bilko and Kowalski pop out and vanish mm. in a puff of smoke. I remembered that for years. That's just mm. so weird. It's creepy leaving the original party to follow the moving door to the gimp encampment around a large stone idol of Damon himself. They gun the gimps down as the stone face of the idol mocks them. Bravo! Hail the conquering heroes! Now go through the door. Many more unpleasant surprises await you in the house of Damon. Merry Christmas. Elliot blasts the stone effigy <laughs> to bits, and each fragment becomes a laughing demonic face. The world fades and our party of five go through the door and emerge into the hallway of Villa Cassandra. But the front door is locked. When Elliot tries a hand nuke on it, it explodes into chicken feathers. Desperately, everyone watches through the windows as a postman arrives and delivers a letter with a message that reads, That's... Dear fools, abandon hope. You are mine. I shall never let you go. Yours till death, Damon. Merry Christmas. <laughs> it's like a Christmas card from hell <laughs> on a suitably festive issue. I really enjoyed these ones again. I like that um, uh, Cassandra essentially gets an episode of her own, like mm. a, a week of her own, to be the central character and the detective. Yes, and does a much better job of it than Elliot ever did. An idiot. I appreciated Eastwood's gag where he said, uh, "He's Arch, I've counted it. There are twelve of us. We're like a dirty dozen." Shut up, which Eastwood. Is of course, <laughs> <laughs> which is of course an Eastwood mm. movie. And uh, I do wonder what happens to Fenwick and Willie's bodies, well, given that Dave's body ended up back in the house. Watch the space. Hmm. We shall see. The transparent door being carried by Mr. Punch lookalikes, the gimps, mm. uh, looks a little bit like a ranch slider at one stage because you can see their arms through it. But I think that's part of the effect. It's transparent. I think so too. And I love the shot of the postman. Just this weird sort of silent panel of him whistling as he goes to yep. the door, drops yep. in a letter, which is diabolical. Absolutely diabolical. 
thing which always amazes me about House of Damon is, in some ways, I don't remember this bit of it, the story being any longer than the rest of it, but it's quite well structured and put together. So mm. we always rave about the Ortiz comic books and how they can actually just bring so much more punch to stories which, you know, the jungles of the demon's nightmares are much better realised than streetwise photographic Spain. Episode 12, issues 41 to 44. Still recovering from Damon's Xmas hate mail last issue, the Aldriches and co. are horrified to find the hallway floor beneath them liquefying into a stormy sea. As the waves toss the last piece of TVNG flooring, Rhonda is swept away and dragged screaming down into a whirlpool. She vanishes under the water, never to return. Help me, Rhonda. Help, help me, Rhonda. Too late. <laughs> Suddenly, a hook flies through the air and chunks solidly into their raft, and three monk-like figures appear in a door in the air to aid them. Cassandra senses they are not Damon's creatures, and they allow themselves to be pulled to safety as the waters claim their makeshift raft. The monks introduce themselves as Naaman, Raphael, and Audis wizards from the future, encamped in the relative tranquility of the lounge, using their combined powers to hold Damon at bay. The party sleep and rest between issues before the three tell them the story of the far future, the 26th century to be exact, where psychic powers have become the norm. In this future, a freak is born, a child of extreme power and unspeakable malevolence, and the world feared him. (coughs) (laughs) I'm getting a strong Owen Chrysler vibe off this. Uh, Actually, yes, definitely. So three of the greatest wizards combine their skills to trap him in the building that was once the Villa Cassandra. But Damon found a way to cast his evil back through time. Woo! So anyone who enters the house might fall prey to his infinite malice. The wizards cannot help them escape, but they can provide sanctuary in the lounge for the rest of their lives if need be. After two days of rest, peace and tranquility, and some debate, the group agrees they must face Damon and try to escape, even if they die trying. The monks are sorry to see them leave, but offer two possible means of help. The first is advice. If they meet Damon in his true form, he will be vulnerable, and they have a slim chance. The second thing is a deadly elixir, the suicide pill, if their torment becomes too great. And on that happy note, they leave and head up the stairs to the first floor. (laughs) Note to American listeners, that's the second floor. Mm. Heading for Damon's lair in the attic. But the upstairs hallway gets colder and colder until the four freezes and tilts, sending Cormac sliding towards an opening door leading into an abyss. Elliot grabs him just in time, and another door opens into a wild party. Hey, as one door closes. Hmm. Yes, things have gone from icy to cool as a jazz band play, and Dave and Rhonda appear to invite them in. Uh-huh. Have you noticed that Cormac seems to be aging in the script? Ortiz is drawing him older and older. I don't know if that's accidental or not. I hadn't noticed. It's enough to make anyone look tired and haggard. Except they do play up in these episodes how much of a toll it's taking on all of them. Because hmm. Cormac has been guilt-stricken at the loss of his students. And that's probably the reason why he throws all caution to the wind and enters the room to accept the drink. In the last episode for this month, Cassandra is not fooled, however. And though the others are unsure, warily PC Willie and Elliot go in. And the door is slammed in Cassandra's face. Suddenly the clocks chime midnight, and the revellers unmask themselves to reveal a range of monstrous and demonic faces. Rhonda becomes a fang-toothed bat, and Dave removes his face and becomes a skeleton. Surprise! 
The crowd goes wild as Elliot punches his way through, Elrol flinning his way through the crowd. He grabs Cormac and sends a free axe flying, bringing down the candles and causing the room to burst into flames. Next time, journeys end. Ooh, that was creepy. I think they've stopped faffing about. This Mm. is now full-on horror. This is Mm. where the 13th floor will come from when Eagle gets there. The shot of the party goes all sort of peeling their faces off. It was very sort of American werewolf in London. Mm. Mm. And I can't decide whether there's a Gusley McNasty cameo in amongst the revelers. It's probably a bit early for that. Well, Ortiz, I think, was the artist for that. Yeah. So there's a hooded figure with a scythe or something like that. And, and little beady glowing eyes inside it. But mm. let's be honest, you know, if you want to draw something scary, that's probably going to be in the mix. Mm. That was House of Damon for this month and, you know, Exposition City. Episode 13, issues 45 to 47. It's the final of the House of Damon. Previously on House of Damon. It's a party at Damon's house! Waylaid on their way to the final confrontation with the demonic entity controlling their house, Elliot Aldrich, Dr. Cormac, and PC Willie Fraser end up trapped in a wild, wild party by monsters disguised as their dead friends. And as they try to escape, the room bursts into flames. Elliot grabs Cormac and drags him towards the door as Willie falls under a pile of ghastly flaming monsters and they leave as an axe pounds into the door behind them. <sighs> it's an absolutely awesome page. It looks wonderful. Cassandra joins them and resists saying she told them so. If a bloody architect gets someone killed in a scary size... <laughs> Let it go, Dave. Let it go. If a bloody architect gets someone killed in a scary, cyclically haunted house and his wife is not there to see it, is he essentially wrong? (laughs) They avoid another vision, pretending to be their friends, the good wizards, and climb the stairs to Damon's lair in the attic, avoiding foul stenches, armies of disembodied hands, talking doors covered in rotting faces and vicious bats, (laughs) before meeting the gloating form of a dome-headed, Owen Christ-alike child of darkness. Yes, Damon is a mere boy of about ten. The demonic, wizened old man was just a manifestation of Damon's twisted soul. Damon mocks them and brains Cormac with a coconut, really, before revealing that their friends and travelling companions on this adventure haven't died, but have been here all along, chained up in Damon's playroom up in the attic. Enraged, Elliot hurls a branding iron at the beast, but is thrown across the room by Damon's psychic power. Cassandra breaks down, sobbing, and falls to her knees at Damon's feet, and while he gloats, she tries to scratch his eyes out. Cassandra has dipped her preposterously still-manicured nails in the suicide poison from the wizards, and a bleeding Damon falls unconscious to the floor. So this is the wizened Damon, not the child Damon. It's, uh... He flicks between the two facades, yeah. the wizened face and the childlike mm. self. Elliot grabs a mallet and tries to deliver a coup de grace, but it shatters in his hand. Even unconscious, Damon has formed some type of psychic shield and resumes his childlike form. Undaunted, they free the others and flee the house before Damon awakens, just pulling Cormat through the carnivorous door as a groggy (laughs) Damon rages behind them. They are free! Everyone roll for XP! Rock them! Elliot swears to destroy the house, but Cormac explains it's futile. They know it exists in the future, and if they tell anyone their story, they'll be dismissed as crazy. Mm. So Elliot, 
gets his building firm to build a wall 40 feet high, triple strength, reinforced concrete, barbed wire, no gates, no entrances, no geopolitical comment, sealing up the Villa Cassandra from the world forever. The end. Well, at least until the future. Well, there's this marvellous self-fulfilling prophecy thing that I loved as a kid that Damon inhabits the house because it has such a terrible past and the terrible past is it had this freaking great wall in front of it to keep everyone away from Damon. Yeah. Oh, it's lovely. It's really lovely. I love it. It's nice. Did they partially create Damon? I don't believe they partially created Damon, but you get the impression from the wizard story that Damon went to the house. Mm. He selected the house. But we're getting into slightly more advanced storytelling than you'd expect from a 80s comic. And to be honest, I like the hint of the predestination of it all. Mm-hmm. But if someone actually expressly said, and in doing so, they created Damon, maybe it would be a little bit too much. Mm. I don't know. It's, it's just nicely, subtly done. But as always, it's been a lovely ride. And Ortiz's art, is we can't stop saying enough about it. And I would say it's a better story than Tower King. It's certainly got a better final three panels. Um, once yes. again, you've got this sort of distant shot, but this time it's just this black block of the shape of the wall around the Villa Cassandra mm. on that promontory gull circling overhead, and it's just, that's all you need. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's all you need. Interesting to see a corridor sprouting hands, or disembodied hands, because um, mm-hmm. uh, Alan Grant does this again in Judge Anderson's story, The Possessed. Yep. But presumably a callback to Roman Polanski's repulsion as well, which I think is, must be the earliest instance of that, unless you're sort of going all Beauty and the Beast on it. Always a great image. Again, they pull out all the stops for that final couple of pages going up the stairs. Mm. And then the whole denouement is just two episodes. Yep. And no farting around. It, it's, it's in, it's out, it's quick. It hasn't outstayed its welcome, which is... And, and it, the payoff is great. Yeah, mm. yeah. Thus ends The House of Damon. Regrettably, this title is not currently available, although it was reprinted as La Casa del Diablo for a Spanish horror title, Dossier Negro, in the 80s, and there was a more exclusive limited print run by Hibernia Press in 2020. If you were in luck, you may still find it, although it is understandably highly sought after. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, and watch yourselves among strange old abandoned houses. You've been listening to the Eagle Data File from Where Eagles Dare. If you'd like to follow us or get in touch, you can find Where Eagles Dare on Facebook and at sofageddon.wordpress.com. We're on Twitter at sofageddon, and you can email us at sofageddon at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>